0: Tasa Bhagavato Harahato, Samma, Sambo Namo Tasa Bhagavato Harahato, Samma, Sambo Dasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Harahato, Samma, Sambo Dasa Homage to the Buddha, the Blessed Noble and fully self-enlightened you may find it useful this evening to have the dependent origination in front of you the chanting that we do you know because I mean to go through that and uh, make so I can explain it Uh, I I called it the wheel I think there the wheel independent origination that's the Tibetan um, thing because you know they have that lovely picture of the wheel in the jaws of samsara the evil one Um, (coughs) but uh, it's it's just dependent origination right in other words things arise dependent on something else I mean that's basic position of the Buddha that nothing has its own existence there's not such thing as an independent entity in the universe yeah? it's, just, um, it's just all things are arising dependent on other conditions that's the, that's the basic teaching and the, the connection in terms of karma, I'll do tomorrow so today it's just really trying to understand this psychology that we're studying about ourselves and uh, to understand it and then to see if actually we can realize it for ourselves through our meditation we actually see this process. Hmm? So it starts with uh, this word avidya, and it's translated as ignorance but ignorance gives it a sort of pejorative meaning it makes you think well you know you, you're ignorant you should have known better <laughs> But it's uh, the better, it's basically a not knowing, not knowing. I did find a word which expresses just not knowing, it's nescience, but uh, nobody knows it, so there's no point in me using it. (laughs) The English is full of all these redundant words. So, this uh, avidja, not knowing, see what's it referring to? What is it that doesn't know? In the Theravada tradition, the southern school of Buddhism, um, there was uh, kept to the original Buddha's approach about what was, you know, what is the experience? See, what is the experience? As Buddhism developed, the question shifted slightly as to, well, what is it that knows the experience? What is it that has the experience? And so the psychology shifts then, you see. And, uh, we get into a more meta, <coughs> excuse me, a more metaphysical psychology. Psychology that includes a consciousness which doesn't belong to this realm of existence, right? That's Nibbana, you see. But uh, in the Theravada school, the southern uh, what they what they tend to term these days as the Southern Buddhism, as opposed to Northern Buddhism, to get away from the prejudice, of, uh, you know that that there is between these two schools. Um, The accent is more on the actual experience of nirvana. However, when it comes to this word, avijja, not knowing, uh, it's obviously something that doesn't know. (laughs) It's not, it's not sort of a blank nothingness out of which conditions arise. There is a not knowing, and uh, the closest we can get to that sort of understanding is birth. So at birth, I mean, what do we actually know? See? Um, we've come with some baggage, uh, if we're to believe rebirth, you know, having come from a former life. Uh, but uh, in terms of that moment, whether it's within the womb coming to some sort of awareness, uh, suddenly hearing mother's heartbeat, I don't know, or whether it's when you're actually born and you take and, and suddenly you're out there taking your first very painful breath, I think. Uh, at some point, uh, we can say that this child knows nothing. Huh? We can agree on that, can we? <laughs> to a certain extent. <laughs> so then, of course, all the stuff piles in. Parents, society, education, all that sort of stuff. And uh, the child comes to know. But at that point of avidya, that not knowing, you see, there is right there at the beginning... An association there's an identity so when that child cries it's me that's crying when that child's happy it's me that's happy so there's no distinction in the child between the I which is experiencing thing and the experience as far as we understand not until the age of four or five months it seems does the child actually create its first object out of this mass of sensation that it's experiencing and suddenly, something separates out. I mean, of usually, obviously, your mother comes out, and uh, from then on, uh, the child objectifies the world. So that I don't know what, what age that gets to, but maybe somewhere around two, between two and three, uh, the child knows there's a world out there, and I'm in it, I'm here, you see. But the important point for us to, underst- to, to, to understand is that there is a moment when this. Knowing uh, presumes it is what it's experiencing, and what it's experiencing is this psychophysical organism. See, so there's no that's who I am. You see, I am this, that's the point. And um, what this does is it creates a relationship with this, okay, and that relationship is one of trying to be happy. If I'm saying, understandable, <laughs> you want to be happy. And anything that makes me unhappy, I want to get rid of. So, right there, within that first relationship, that first hazy sense of who I am, you know, I mean, we're not talking about a concept here, we're not talking about words, Uh, there is an immediate knowledge that some things are painful and some things are unpainful. And that when things are painful, I don't like it, and when things are, uh, sorry, yeah, when things are painful, I don't like it, and when they're pleasant, I do. Even if it's not at a language base, you know, it's at that sort of fundamental animal base. An animal, uh, even even a primal animal, knows when it's suffering and when it's not suffering. eh? Even a worm, you know, if you prod a worm, it curls up, doesn't it? It's not doing that for fun, is it? It's not. (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of suggesting, you know. I mean, we can't get into the head of a worm, I know, and it's all meant to be, uh, you know. The, the pathetic fallacy and all that, but the fact is, <laughs> they had this in, in in a magazine that I get called the Week, which sort of collects all the all the news from all the newspapers. You know, it's, it's like a it's like a leech really. It sort of lives off of the newspapers, but it's very really han- <laughs> but it's very handy because <laughs> it it puts all these opinions for you there. The Week, and it always has these reports occasionally from scientists. Uh, it always has a report from science community, and one week it was proven without any shadow of a doubt by scientists in Canada that, that fish do not feel pain. The next week, it was proved without a shadow of a doubt by, <laughs> by scientists, I can't remember where, that fish do, in fact, feel pain. So, how they, how they work this one out? Anyway. Um, so, here we have this um, not knowing, this awareness, this consciousness. It's difficult to find a word. And probably the best word is the knowing <coughs> uh, knowing there is uh, it's a sort of what we call a gerund isn't it which is a verbal noun so it gives us the idea that it's not an object but a process the knowing yeah I rather like that uh, you see that in the literature and I, I, I much prefer that word because it, it takes us away from the idea that it's something right like an object in the universe so it's, it's a process the knowing and uh, this knowing has made a mistake. See, that's the point. It makes a mistake. Right? You can't call it, you can't say it's blameworthy. It's just made a mistake of believing it is what it's actually experiencing. Right? And um, this creates this primary. Um, Mirror image that I was talking about yesterday of the self. This knowing feels itself within the psychophysical organism. It's a sense of presence. Yeah, you can get it. You can get it now. You can, if you're in a very silent place, you get a sense of your being here. See that sense of presence. And that's often looked upon by uh, traditions elsewhere or whatever as as your soul. You see. Because you've always got that sense of presence. You, might, you don't have it in sleep, of course, but when you wake up, there you are. See? Here I am. See? Every morning, here I am. And that sense of uh, presence, which seems to be constant with me all the time, you see, constant, um, is what you might say my first object. I create myself. See? That's my mirror. And I'm uh, myself. It cannot be separated from what I'm actually experiencing. That's another point too. You see, so if you ask somebody, "Well, who are you?" they'll say, "Well, you know, I am my thoughts, I am my emotions, I am this, I am that." They describe themselves. So this I and what we experience are, are experiences, one of the same thing. Only in meditation do we find this other place within ourselves where the I sits as seemingly retreated out of the body. Out of emotions, out of thought, into this objective observer, but it's still there—the sense of me. See? So um, that's what you might say is a fundamental delusion about me, about who I am, running under every moment of my life. It's always there. Right? It's not always activated, but it's always there as a, as a way of looking, a way of experiencing. Uh, my life it's always underneath there and it rises up as the I am which will be which will, which manifests later in this in this sequence and uh, because of this dependent on this not knowing you see the delusions arise and these delusions these habits that we have which are based on wrong understanding are known as your sankara ok so that's the Avidya, Pacha, sankar. Dependent on this delusion, this initial mistake, the avidya, this not knowing, we have created a whole mass of conditioning. Okay? And again, how we create that mass will become obvious. But important for us to understand is that running underneath our lives is this fundamental delusion. You see, that's me thumbs. And on top of that are our habits, our conditioning. Always running underneath at this unconscious subliminal level, see. And the thing is, we don't know how much of it's down there. See, that's why it's so horrific when you meditate, you find you've got all this stuff, <laughs> and when you think you've got rid of it, you find more. And it's all down here, <coughs> it's all, excuse me, it's all down here in this psyche. So you've got this, these two things just running underneath our lives like that. See? Now, dependent on these sankhara, these conditionings consciousness arises consciousness arises now oh. so how does that work you see well a consciousness and this comes cl- again later in the wheel is based upon a sense base okay so as soon as a sense base touches on something as soon as i see a tree see i was walking around just just recently as soon as i see a tree it the, the the photons hit the eye, fine, and all that all that sort of stuff. But it taps into this base I have around trees, see, and up comes my relationship to trees, dependent on all the trees that I've that I've had a relationship with. <laughs> I thought thought was rephrase that, and uh, <laughs> and uh, that's determined is determined and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to undermine that by cutting through these old perceptions but they're there you see so uh coffee you see as soon as you get the smell of coffee it goes into it and there's a, a conditioning there to get coffee so it comes out and off you go tea whatever it is biscuits see it's all underneath here uh, all underneath just waiting like a like a devil to sort of grab you and and, and and throw you in the pot. So those are your sankaras underneath. Sankara means those things made with, you know, there. They've got some that they're, they're not only sankaras in the past, conditionings coming from the past, they themselves are conditioning. See? Every time they rise, they condition you in the same way. <clears throat> that's how they that's how they manifest. So if you're greedy, the more you feed your greed, the more greedy you get. It's very simple. Isn't it? And you get some uh, funny translations really. Concoctions. Uh, I mean, you'll see them translated there as volitional conditionings. And what that's pointing to is that what makes these conditionings is your will. So again, we'll make that clearer as we go along. But uh, tomorrow, when we talk about karma then that becomes a central concept. Okay? So you've got not knowing. We begin with an, uh, a sort of non culpable not knowing. We make a mistake. We create a self. We create the world. And this world is our habits underneath, the underlying habits, right? Which, m- which will make us see the world in a particular way. You've only got to think of being born in a different culture. Okay? It's a different world. Isn't it? So now dependent on that and on, on, on this arises, aware, arises this consciousness, this cognition, right? So that's your basic um, awareness of things, right? So we're not talking here about this, this insightful intelligence, it's buried in that consciousness but it comes out as a discriminative consciousness. You know this from that, you know what it does, you know where it's going, you know what it's for, it's that sort of understanding consciousness. They translate it as a discriminative consciousness. Now dependent on vinyana. Dependent on consciousness arises somebody help me. Have you got it? Always forget this. Nama Rupa, that's right, body and mind. I've got it. <coughs> I was trying to think of the Pali. Vijnana Pacha Nama Rupa Nama Rupa refers to your body and your mind now you have to be careful here Um, the body here uh, is the sense body of course there is a physical body like your nails you see but what do I know of my nails I know the shape, I know the feel of them but I can't get inside my nail I can't be my nail have you noticed that? (laughs) And if you notice that when you cut it off, it's fine. But if somebody cut your hand off; it'd be completely different. <laughs> so it's this—it's more in the sense of uh, relating to our sense body, what 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 we actually know through our senses of the body, rather than the body itself. Although we can include that because obviously, um, you know, even if uh, we don't know parts of the body, uh, such as our hair—you know—if you lose your—if you lose your hair, it can be a disaster. I can tell you that now for certain. <laughs> so, uh, Nama, Rupa. And uh, in, in the Buddha's teaching, these are two different forms of energy. See, this is the thing. Two different forms of energy. It's difficult to, uh, these days in certain circles because everything's reduced to matter. But mind is of a different form of energy. And uh, we can sometimes separate that in our bodies. For instance, if you feel uh, angry, for instance, you may, in a really good moment of perceptions, uh, separate out the body, which is quite burny, from the mind, which is a much lesser um, uh, feeling, right? And this mind is, um, it's just of a, a finer substance. I'll use the word. Uh, you know, of a finer material, right? But remember, nothing's nothing here has any substance in itself. It's just a finer energy, for want of a better word. Now, this nama rupa, Pacha nama rupa, uh, there arises the six sense bases. Okay. Now, the six sense bases are important because they define this consciousness. So, your consciousness is dependent on the sense base. Right, the Buddha says. So for instance, my eye consciousness is dependent on the eye. Right? I can't have eye consciousness through my ears, no matter how much I try. Yeah? Even if I had enormous powers, I don't think I could still see through my ears. See? So <laughs> so whatever consciousness I have must be dependent on the sense space. Now the sixth sense space, remember, is the mind itself. And what that's referring to is the processes, the basic processes the mind has to perceive things so for instance at the eardrum there is only pressure there is no sound right? but these pressures are taken inward and there's this whole process of turning that what are basically contacts if you were tap, tap your finger like that your thumb and finger together that's what happens on the eardrum See, there's no sound at all but it's taken in and a sound is manufactured and then it goes through the process of naming the sound bell and then it gives you a reason alarm see and then it says I've got to get up see so there's a whole process that goes on uh, in the mind which is all really to do with the mind base Okay. so those are your six um, sense bases and it's because of these six sense bases that we can contact the world So that's your next step, the passa. Now the 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 three things that that we need to have contact. We need to have that sense space, we need to have an actual object to be sense to have sense of, and we need that consciousness. See? And what the Buddha says is when those three are there, that's when you have a perception. Okay? And if one of them is missing, you don't get it. So if you're unconscious, you probably don't see anything. Yeah, you won't see you won't see the gorilla walking across your room. If you uh, if, they, if you're in a very dark if you're in a in a room where there's no light, you've got you've got your eyesight, you've got your eyes, but you don't see anything. See? So those three things have to be there for uh, a perception, perception to arise. Inwardly, on the sense base of the mind, that of course refers to your uh, memories, to your images, to your thoughts that arise out of this base of sankara. These, this, ba- this underlying base, and as we discover in meditation, once you stop controlling your life and just sitting, all sorts of stuff comes out of this, comes out of this dustbin, doesn't it? I mean, it's <laughs> and, and they think there's no reason for it. There's no reason within the heart. It just effervesces. So we've got to the point now of contact. Now. It's the next stage where we begin to live in a dual world. And the dual world is those contacts that are pleasant and those contacts that are unpleasant. There's a whole range of contacts in the middle that the Buddha talks about as being neutral. But if you go into them and really feel them as they are, I think you'll see they tend ever so slightly towards being pleasant or unpleasant. Right? So there's a fundamental dual world we live in, in terms of our experience. What we're experiencing is either pleasant or unpleasant. And you'll notice that the word there is this Vedana. So remember, Vedana includes all the sensations, feelings, moods, emotions as we experience them in the body. That's Vedana. It's the felt sense of our lives, you see. And included in that, although it's not written into the actual process, always is the sanya, perception. So whatever we experience always has a mirror image at a conceptual level. And there's your memory. See? So every time you eat an apple, it goes into this memory block. And then every time you eat an apple, this memory comes onto the apple that you're eating. Without sanya, then that wouldn't be possible and uh, that's your level of uh, experience you see, which is uh, 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 most of it is completely natural I mean, you know, if somebody uh, you know, stands on your foot that's, that's going to be normally painful yeah uh, you know, if somebody offers you a sweet and you put it in your mouth that's normally pleasant so there's a certain base other parts, other things can be to do with our culture, you know I remember my teacher, who was Burmese, um, almost feeling sick at the, at, the, at, the, at the sight of a Marmite jar. <laughs> 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 Can't understand it. Mind, mind you, if you've ever had their fish paste, then you'll you know, you know what life's about. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had that fish paste? Thailand <laughs> and Burma? yeah, oh well. I'll leave that for another lifetime, I reckon. <laughs> Um, yeah, some of it's cultural, like music. Some music we we love because it's our culture. The music we find strange, and so on and so forth. These days tend to be a bit more multicultural. Food, all that sort of stuff. Also, personal likings, things like that. So all that will have an effect at that visceral level of the body and feeling. Right. Okay. Now, this is a really important point in the wheel because what happens next is the cause of suffering and the word that the Buddha uses is tanha and tanha refers to those desires and those wishes that arise from this delusion Okay, and it's arising out of that mass of conditionings so when I when we go in for a meal you see part of it is quite natural to the body the sense of appetite but there's something else coming out of that, of that conditioning base, the Sankaras, which, where we've um, developed a, an enjoyment of, right, in the wrong sense, an attachment to food, uh, something that we're trying to make ourselves happy with. right, And that's what you would call a So, <laughs> So when, when that uh, food comes, you see, there arises the desire for more of that pleasure. And that's your Tanha. And the Tanha comes up and it wants to grab that Vedana in a way to make it, to, to satisfy itself. But the important point here is that at this point, nothing's actually happened. Nothing's actually been created. All this is the product of the past. So when I put an apple, when I chew an apple and I, and I, and I get the, the pleasant sense base, that's to do with all past apples plus the apple i'm eating of course yeah and when when the desire for the apple comes up um uh, hold on i've done the sequence wrong when i see an apple and the desire for an apple comes up you see and i've not done anything i'm just there with the sight of the apple and the feeling of wanting the apple then at that point nothing's happened it remains as a potential the desire hasn't manifested and that's a really important point to get because just because you feel bad about something because some bad feeling has come up um, doesn't mean that therefore you should feel guilty you see it's like a double take but desires come up just because of past conditionings so if guilt comes up about feeling certain feelings or shame about certain feelings in the past or certain feelings that arise that's something that we don't really have to put on this this particular desire, because that desire is just a product of the past. We've not done anything yet. Okay. So, for instance, if I uh, I don't know uh, if I uh, uh, if I walk in that if I if the rule is to take only one biscuit, you see, and I'm standing in front of those biscuits and there's <laughs> and everybody's taking a bit and there's two left. You see, and I have the desire to take that extra biscuit, you see. This remains at the level of potential. Nothing's happened there, you see. And being a, being a good yogi, of course, I allow that to arise and pass away. Now, I shouldn't feel guilty about that. That's just my conditioning. Every time I see a biscuit, I want it. Fair enough. <laughs> see? Uh, so at that point, the tanha, uh, we have to understand that these are the products of past action. Right? For those of you who know your Pali, that's a vipaka, it's not a camera, it's not an act, it's a product, you see. So, here we have a pleasant fe- a pleasant feeling arising because of some perception, Yeah, the biscuit, and here we have the desire to take it. Right. And at this point nothing's happened. Now you can see, if I can hold that position and wait for this to die i wait for this to fade away you see what's it come out of? it's come out of these sankharas these underlying conditionings and in allowing it to fade away like that I'm undermining the power of this conditioning this desire for biscuits see so there's your renunciation that's what renunciation means it means to let go of a desire in order to undermine a certain uh, bad a certain unwholesome conditioning Okay, so there's your upadana as there's your Tanha if by misfortune by a moment of mindlessness I attach to the desire for the biscuit you see then the I comes in so it's want I See now at that point when I've identified when I'm lost in the desire it's almost impossible to jump out of it before you know it you've grabbed that biscuit (laughs) but then it's too late you've done it you see so you may as well eat it (laughs) <laughs> you've committed the sin. You see, that's it, you've done it. You see. Of course you can put it back and there will be forgiveness. But, <laughs> but at that point, you see, where it turns into an action. So this upadana, upadana means grasping the I. So our sequence is, I want a biscuit. But the actual psychological sequence is, biscuit want I. If it were, I want a biscuit, there'd be no escape. You wouldn't be able to escape because the identity would be immediate. It's the very fact that identity comes last that you can cut into that process and allow these desires to pass away. So what you're identifying when you do that is, of course, with the wisdom inside you and not with the greed. See? Even so, we should beware of the biscuit. So then, after that Upadana, there is some sort of empowerment. Something goes into the desire which manifests an action. And that's bhava, that's becoming. Bhava is the same as kamma, an action. It's the same as chaitana, the will, because at this point, there's some sort of fuel, some sort of energy goes in there which brings what was potential into an actual. Now, when you're doing walking meditation, just stand there for a minute and say, intending to walk, intending to walk, you know. And you can feel there's, a, there's an intention to walk, but nothing happens. You can do that all day, nothing will happen. And then suddenly, the foot moves. So something's gone in there, you see. And that's, that's the will. And as soon as you've empowered uh, a thought or a, or a word or an action, you've created a camera, you've become... Now this becoming, the reason why the Buddha uses the word becoming here and not say karma or, or other words is because what's really becoming is the I, See, the I is becoming, it's being reborn every time you create an action, See, the I goes in there and that's the—that's where the fundamental delusion lies right underneath the whole lot about who I am. See? So, at Upadana, this I rises to grasp it. See? This is me. And once that's happened, there's an empowerment and the I re- rounds again and that identity is strengthened. See? Now, at this point, uh, you get birth, aging and death. So, the dependent the, the origination is written as though it were three lives. That, that would be the sort of traditional way of teaching it. So the, the, the ignorance, the delusion and the conditions are all in the child being born. And then you pass through everything that we've described throughout lives, The wheel turning and turning and turning. And then in the next life you go through the whole process again. Birth, aging and death. But for a meditator and, and for the more spiritual look, uh, side uh, the Buddha is obviously really pointing to this present moment. This present moment has all the not knowing, the ignorance, and the potential right here. There is this constant process. When I say constant, it's, it's obviously not constant. Uh, it's not continual because it's not there when you're asleep. It's not there when, for instance, you're behaving in a, in a wise way. Okay? Um, at least... the the sankara, the unwholesomeness is not there when you're believing in when you're acting in a wise way but this fundamental sense of self uh, that's always there somewhere you see, it's always there somewhere Um, and then there's this the action, the actual action has a beginning, has a process and has an end, that's your birth ageing and death and that that to a meditator that to us as meditators are seeking uh, liberation from this uh, circle that makes much more sense to us because that tells us we can become liberated right now. See, you don't have to wait ages and ages. <clears throat> so that's the dependent origination uh, in its forward movement or in its positive. That's a funny thing to say because it's getting worse. Uh, in, its <laughs> in its negative movement, where it's getting better, right, is when you start undercutting that process and there are two points where you undercut it at that point of desire, wherever you see a desire which is unwholesome, unskillful, not virtuous if you can just hang on in there and wait for it to pass away then these sankharas, these conditionings are being undermined and slowly, uh, eventually, in time all these kilesa, all these defilements are uh, taken out of the system at the same time there's the the goodness, all the love, the compassion, sympathetic joy, generosity, all the beautiful virtues begin to enter into that space. So remember, in this process, nothing is destroyed, it's transformed. So where we see selfishness, when that selfishness disappears, it naturally moves to generosity. See, Where you see cruelty, it naturally moves to compassion. It helps to push it along a bit with little exercises, but <laughs> but it's a natural process. A natural process. So that's what's happening, actually. We say uh, a more obvious level, where we are changing ourselves by the simple process of not feeding into those desires we see as unwholesome, and feeding those desires we see as, we see as wholesome. I and mean, you couldn't get simpler, really, could you? True. Absolutely. Underneath this, there's this ignorance, right? This, this not knowing, and this is where the vipassana strikes home. You see, because vipassana is right here where this fundamental delusion lies, and it lies in these three particular perspectives that somehow there is some sort of continuity, some sort of substantiality about my life and who I am. You see, um, and we, uh, and that impermanence. You know, beginning to really grasp impermanence that actually things are not just changing it's not like you get a piece of clay mess it up and make a sauce you know make a cup and then make a saucer it's actually moment to moment and each moment has to collapse entirely before the next moment arises see so we're actually living in a process of living dying living dying living dying that's the way the radical uh, impermanence taught by the Buddha right the second one is of course the psychological problem which is where we actu- where we experience suffering and that's to see this dukkha this this um, unsatisfactness and that's what this wheel points to at that level of desire okay so we're seeing we're, we're undercutting deep we're undercutting deep down when we're actually also working with desire okay and the fourth uh, the third one is uh the, the, the not-self, which is this primal mistake we've made about who we are, this identity. Okay, And of course, in our meditation, we're constantly pushing stuff out to look at it. So whereas once I may have been certain that I am the body, especially as a child, I'm now not so sure. See? Whereas once I would say, you know, I feel, you know, looking at them, who, who's feeling what, you know? Where once I, I would say, I think... I am. I think, therefore, I am. Well, I, how can it be if I'm looking at it? If I'm aware of it? See. So this disconnection is is actually a relocation. We're relocating constantly backwards into this other place that we call the observation post, the observer, the feeler, the experiencer. But even here, to our astonishment, we find me. <laughs> see, I'm still there. I'm the. <laughs> I'm feeling. I see. So obviously this this goes deep, and I find that I can't jump behind that. The only way I can jump behind that is by falling asleep, and then, then I completely disappear for a while. But you can't get rid of that last me. You try. See, every time you think you're going to get rid of it, you find another me getting rid of that me. So it's it's, it's impossible. You're into a, you're into a mirror image, which is uh, like you can't get beyond it. So that's why. See, this is the this is the. the a genius of the Buddha, you see, he says, Don't try. What are you trying that for? You see, it's a waste of time. Rather, place your attention on the object, you see. Place your attention on the object. Bypass that sense of self, you see. And very slowly, one begins to experience uh, life without this sense of self in little blips and blobs, you see. And that's what I'm referring to when you have these moments of absorption, you see. Again, I use that word because I can't think of another one. However, having said that if you get to a point where the body is absolutely still and the mind is stopped yeah? like there's no thoughts, and the heart's very calm and there's a complete peacefulness and as you're watching the breath which is the only thing that's left there comes to you this very strong sense of self a sense of presence a sense of the observer yeah? the feeler so turn your attention onto that with no, not the idea of trying to get rid of it or anything, just turn your attention onto that sense of presence and find out how that's being manufactured. Because that can't be you, that's also an object that you're aware of. If you're aware of something, it can't be what is the actual awareness. See? So it's that process, you see, and uh, hopefully, um, you know, there'll be a little crack in that in that deep identity as to who we are, and then finally, of course, um, the Buddha is clear that um, the final end is not an annihilation. He's very clear about that. He's, he's accused of it because he tends to prefer a negative explanation, and negative words like we, we repeat them, the unborn, the undying, and all that. You see but he says the only things that are annihilated are greed, hatred and this fundamental delusion about who we are and uh, twice in the scriptures but there are other places too where he points directly in a way to this experience which is beyond the phenomenal world and he states quite clearly there is a consciousness, so he has to use the same word unfortunately because the language doesn't, doesn't reach that far but he says there is a consciousness Which is not coloured by the senses. It's not manifested. There's nothing in it, right? Without boundary, which means that there is nothing in it to create a sense of, uh, uh, you know, a sense of, uh, of a boundary. Yeah, you've got to have phenomena to create boundary. And in all directions, full of light. In all directions, full of awakenedness. And of course, when uh, one is fully liberated when one actually has cleared all this stuff then uh, the person re-enters life re-engages see so don't forget that it's not as though we're going to this place of of of, of sublime indifference you know (laughs) Uh, the Buddha immediately his first thought is who can I teach this to the compassion arises immediately the connection with other beings so with wisdom compassion arises naturally that's what they say in Zen. And, uh, and so, uh, let's face it, the future does seem bright. After all. <laughs> so you have to... And that's, that's what I would call our spiritual hope, see? Uh, to distinguish between expectation, which is some idea, some future time, an idea of a date, you know, I will be liberated on the 6th of June, Uh, some idea of what liberation is all these create expectations but when you um, consider the teaching and what he's saying and when you look into your own experience there arises this spiritual hope, an existential hope you see, that all this massive suffering will eventually be worth it I hope (laughs) (laughs) It's a whole process of evolution, you see. It's a whole process. And although, again, he won't make absolutist statements because he'd always be accused of the other side, being an eternalist, uh, you will see that, you know, through your practice that it's an absolute psychological or spiritual imperative that consciousness will move to its liberation. It's just a spiritual imperative. You can't stop it. So all beings in the fullness of time will be liberated. And on this happy note, (laughs) I can only hope my words will have been of some enormous assistance and that you will be inspired to continue your labors and arrive at that wonderful place sooner rather than later. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org donate.